Hello, and welcome to Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast. I am one of your hosts, Sean McMahon. Joining me on the other line, why is she portentously removing her hair clips? It's Danielle Hanley. Honestly, that is probably the most accurate of of descriptions you could have offered, (laughs) because I am often with bobby pins in my hair, and when I remove them, I feel like I become a different person. <laughs> Just like our boy Clark. Just Hello. like our boy Clark. I will admit, I did have to look up uh, to make sure I was about to use portentous correctly. I'm impressed that you even knew that word at all, let alone, like, knew that you should check in and make sure you knew the <laughs> definition of it. I mean, I literally started, we started the recording, <laughs> and I was like, wait, pause. I it's a real peek up. behind the curtains moment yeah, for all our listeners. I have the, the thousands and millions of them. <laughs> love, love. Okay, while we are here to talk about hair clips, what are we actually here to talk about? What episode are we talking about today? We are talking about Americans, Season 3, Episode 12, I Am a Boston Zadron, directed by Christopher Miziano and written by Peter Ackerman and Stuart Zykerman. And Danielle, do you have an IMDb summary for us? I do. Episode summary from IMDb tells us that Martha hosts an unexpected guest. Philip and Elizabeth must work a formidable Mujahideen commander. Paige is still upset about her knowledge and acts out. This is honestly the longest uh, IMDb summary we've gotten in a, in a while. It's not exactly the worst one either. No. Um, especially because <laughs> the Martha unexpected guest actually is double. That's doubly true. Exactly. Which uh, one are they talking about? But I think anyway, we got to start with diner talk, right? No, we, I'm just kidding. <laughs> we have to start. We'll get to diner talk, audience. Let's just I. go through e. the menu Producer first. Amy, don't worry. <laughs> don't worry, it's coming. <laughs> But, uh, so Danielle, I think there is, of course, no other place to oh start, but with Martha in general in this episode. And then one of the more significant and kind of most important scenes in American history. I don't feel like I'm being hyperbolic when I no. say that, which is the moment at the end of the episode when Philip, uh, pulls out portentously his, the hairpins keeping his, helping keep his wig in place and then peels it off as if it was like a new face. Listen, I feel like that was done for us and specifically (laughs) for us and John Keller, Uh you know, who will join us next week. But uh, uh, because we have speculated about how and when that wig's going to come off. And Philip was just letting us know that, like, it was really fucking on there. Yeah. And gives him this perfect villain hair after. Oh, my the, God. And then the episode ends, right? Yeah. So we actually don't. Danielle does not know what happens next as of I, this moment. Yeah. And so my, I and John and I started our, like, our pre-planning. I was like, this is my note. Wig off at end of episode fuck and also like there is something like so in order to actually like do physical violence to Martha and I don't know if that's what's coming but that's sort of like where my brain went like Philip cannot be Clark because as Clark he has to embody this kind of like like dumpy like a schmo I don't know Mm -hmm. And, and it's, like, the process – there's even something about, like, his eyes, like, the process of taking off the wig, of, like, pulling out bobby pin by bobby pin, peeling back the hair, 
throwing it on the dresser, it's like you see this like transformation of Philip as Clark into like Philip as assassin. Right. And it's the, it's the slicked back hair with yeah. the gel slash adhesive that's happening Great there, <laughs> which is like a kind of crazed look. It's the heavy breath he takes before removing yeah. his glasses. And then the stare he is giving Martha as he one by one takes out the pins yeah. in an incredibly slow yeah. and methodical way. And then it's like the dramatic reveal and Martha is like the shots of Martha and her gasp, right? Which is what the yeah. end of the episode is. I don't know if this was like, if I was just wanting to see something like this or just this is actually something that they thought about, but like, it felt like even the way that Philip's face like sags and kind of like has these like these wrinkles when he is Clark, all of a sudden those were gone. And there's this like his cheeks are like there's like a everything feels more pointed. Yeah. It's a it's a nice opportunity for Matthew Reese to show a different kind of his Philip acting, right? He obviously yeah. he has sad boy Philip down yeah. at great at it. Taught Holly Taylor clearly some things in this episode <laughs> <laughs> on how to do sad boy or girly face. And yeah. here he is like demonstrating that he'll do silent sinister just as effectively. Oh, and, like, it's such a difference from, like, what the Clark persona is. Exactly. And and there's no words to any of it, right? Like, the silent – there's something about the silence that, like, makes it so powerful. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, I almost would have preferred no score either. Yeah. Uh, right? Like, the score is doing a little of here's the emotional work you yeah, should yeah, be doing yeah. as the viewer, which I thought was slightly unnecessary. But, like, it's a part of the Americans' deal, yeah. so I wasn't surprised. But, yeah, it's the – I mean, there's zero words once he takes his glasses off. Am I, is that correct? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. F on the follow-up of a very intense – back and forth dialogue between the two of them. So it's, to, I mean, to your point that it's like a whole new, you know, Philip entering his assassin self or whatever. It's yeah. also just a whole new mode of TV making. Yeah. We've gone from dialogue heavy and that's the source of emotion to total silence within the show. Just you have the score. To maybe like expand that out a little bit. What's also interesting, like thinking a little bit about silence and what's spoken is you have this exchange between you have an exchange earlier in the episode and we'll talk about this a little bit more in a minute but you have an exchange between Philip and Elizabeth where Philip tells Elizabeth that Stan has showed up yeah. and like that and he and Elizabeth just sort of gives him this look and that doesn't get resolved like we don't get like a okay next is like you're going to kill Martha or whatever you you don't get any of that and so, like, that is left unspoken, and then there's, like, so much here that's left unspoken also. Like, again, I think, like, silence is doing – they're sort of working in the register of silence, both in terms of Philip not saying anything while he's doing these things, but also, like, not articulating for us, like – and, and there's, again, it's like, it's all heightening. Even in the shift of the body position of Matthew Reese in relationship yeah. to Martha, where in the 
dialogue part of this scene, he's on his knees while she sits on the bed, right? Like in a pleading posture yeah. or like a proposal posture as well. It's maybe worth noting, right? That oh. he's like bidding or asking for her love yet again or commitment yet again is kind yeah. of the direction. But then once, you know, she says, I can't be here with you like this, I think is the last line of dialogue. Yes. And then it's like, well, fuck it. I'm, let me show you who I really am then. Can you be with me like this? Well, when we right. off, glasses off, bobby pins out. It's interesting that you put it like that because my read of it was like, oh, you can't, like, sort of like, you can't be with, I can't be with you here like this. Oh, you're about to not be here at all. Like, that's actually, like, the entrance of Philip is the is the departure of Martha or, like, the beginning of that departure. Right. I mean, we do get, and this is when he is still Clark, right? I'm trying, Martha. She says, it's not enough. I'm sorry. He says, I will figure out a plan. I'm with you. I love you. You know, the same lines that he gave her a couple of episodes ago, yeah. the same lines that he's giving Martha at any point at what she feels in a moment of crisis. I cannot believe that Martha is even still alive at this point. Like, this feels very shoddy. Like, how did you let Martha stay alive? Question we've asked several times, which is it's about the extent to which Philip does have genuine yeah. care or obligation or love or some, you know, <laughs> concatenation of those things yeah. towards her. Yeah, but like Philip's not usually the one who's in the driver's seat. So like where are the other drivers? <laughs> <laughs> By that, you mean Elizabeth? Elizabeth, Gabriel, Claudia, like Take your pick, Paige. I don't know. <laughs> Paige, Paige, here's your first mission. You're going to go to this woman's apartment in Georgetown and... Get in the car with Hans. Drive on Hans. by. <laughs> yeah, surely nothing can go wrong there. Oh, my God. Uh, um, Any other thoughts on the Clark-Martha stuff? Yeah, I wanted to spend a second talking about the first scene between the two of them, okay. right? So it's when Hans picks up Martha yeah. outside of her apartment one morning and takes her to like... I thought she was dead there. Location. I was like, yeah, oh no. Not, Martha, not Martha Hans is going to shoot you in the eye in a weird way. <laughs> <laughs> He's got practice with that, you know. You'll still live for another minute or two, don't worry. Right. Um, yeah, rough yeah. indeed. Allison writes hair and makeup in that scene is particularly yeah. excellent. I think when they're like have this outdoor secret meetup, you know, and Clark is still on the at least openly to Martha or perhaps, uh, you know, secretly to Martha. We have to go away someplace new. I will figure this out. I promise. Like, yeah. he's ready to at least suggest this possibility of let's just start our, a new life separate from here to her. Yeah, that, 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 yes, that just felt like pretense to like get oh, yeah, her of course. away, right? Of and, course. But I think like to your earlier point, like there is a way that it seems like Philip is trying to be gentle about how this all unfolds. And the end of the episode is like, oh, time for gentleness is over. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yikes. <laughs> just like a huge <laughs> yikes. Huge yikes. I've got another huge yikes for you, Danielle. Oh boy, okay. Stan showing up at no. Martha's at like nine forty-five PM on a weeknight to be like, let's have a cup of tea and chat. 
Well, just and they a like just a cuppa, and like I thought the timing of the of like the exchange was really interesting because like Martha has only just finished like seeping her tea bag when she's like, "You gotta go, buddy." <laughs> Absolutely. Great, great detail. Great picking up on detail by Danielle. Like, nope, we're not doing this. But it's like, it's, it's such a funny, like, entry into, like, Stan's good at his job, bad at his job. Because, like, when Stan's like, I watched you stare into a coffee cup for a full minute. I was like, oh, my God. Creepy. Super creepy. Also, I'm sure, like, at any point during the day, people could watch me stare into, like, I don't know, like, my bookshelf for a full minute, you know? And I'm no, not. No doubt they're staring off into middle distance happening in my fucking office on campus all the time, all day. And, day. like, I have not, like, perpetrated a crime. As far as we know. <laughs> at least to my knowledge, right? <laughs> I haven't bugged any offices. Um, It's just, like, it's such an interesting, like, oh, I, like, I'm, Stan being, like, so good at, like, capturing exactly the moment that's the problem, like, that shows that there's a problem. And yet, like, the way that he chooses to fucking go about it is to, like, roll into her house at 9.45 p.m., this is, like, sexual harassment, like, waiting to happen. Don't worry, Danielle. He said, we all know the secretary. It's the secretaries who make the place run. Which surely is a, you know, gets him off any potential gendered harm. My whole body cringed when he said that line. <laughs> Extremely cringe. Um, Extremely cringe. <laughs> there's there's something about the duality of good at his bad, good at his job, bad at his job, stand in this episode where yeah. it's... I, one way I was thinking about it in this particular episode is that Stan has really, really strong intuitions. It's about Zenyatta, whether it's, a, whether it's yeah. about Zenyatta, whether it's about Martha here. Going back to the end of the previous episode when Martha is in his dream, right? Putting stuff uh, yeah. from mail robot into her purse or her bag or whatever. And then a couple different points towards the end of this season. But there's something about Stan can't like connect that embodied intuition or whatever yeah. to a FBI approved or Stan coherent yeah. like logos of it. So there's like a certain kind of maybe gendered reading of this where Stan's limited access to the intuition yeah. or like more intuitive or embodied knowledge that is traditionally associated with women or femininity and yeah, Western yeah, yeah. patriarchal culture prevents him from doing the linking up of his quote unquote reason to his quote unquote emotion. And that's why he can only ever get so far yeah. with his like hunch intuition. Oh, I love that reading. <laughs> I thought I thought you would. Thank you. Like, you're, you're welcome. <laughs> hello. <laughs> well, yeah, and I was just thinking about it of like, oh, this is an extension of of like Stan seeing all the pieces and being able to identify all the pieces in front of him, but not being able to like put it into like actual FBI terminology. But I think your like reason, emotion, intuition, femininity read is actually like an incredibly useful way to sort of understand some of Stan's shortcomings as like something more structural 
um, than simply Stan being an idiot, (laughs) (laughs) which is my general read. (laughs) It is. It is is indeed your read. Martha does flip the, try to flip the tables a little bit. Oh, yeah. um, With the like, oh, I've heard the gospel about your marriage, which is, again, one of these moments where like Martha's clapping back some. at which, a couple different um, points this this season, which may end up uh, hurting her in the end. But I mean, is it going to hurt her more than Philip killing her? So, like, no, that's what I'm. That's yeah, what I yeah, mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like you know, uh, maybe oh, a different strategy God. was available to her. One last thing on this on the the Stan intuition point is like it also is kind of interesting that like, where the fuck is Martha's intuition about Clark? Because like my intuition about Clark is like, like this is bad. Like anybody who's paying attention to any piece of this is like, this is this something is off. Martha obviously knows like the offness of it all has been exposed and yet she's still here. Okay, I want watch this segue. I'm going to attempt. I don't think it works, but let's do this. Yeah. I think part of your answer here is that Martha lacks from what we have seen in this uh, show, The Americans, any friends, right? She yeah. doesn't. She has Clark. She has creepy FBI dudes pursuing her or ogling yeah. her or trying to flirt with her or whatever. She has her parents and she has no other people, right? No one that can have, give her the friend reality check of, yeah. you mean he can't stay over? You can't actually tell anybody you're married. You have to keep your photos of him in the fucking kitchen drawer. You X and Y and Z and A, B, C onto, you know, many letters that don't exist. And no one's there to give her that reality check that the show has yeah. given us. If there's one other character who maybe could use a like external reality check, it's and and doesn't have friends according to the show so far. It's Paige. In this that's episode. a great segue. Thank you, because Paige, you know her as you pointed out before the show, her version of acting out is yeah. to be like, I'm going to go to a lecture at the church and stay over at Pastor Tim and Alice's house. Not, I'm going to go, like, drink underage with friends, or I'm going to sleep over or at Kimmy. a friend's house. Or, yeah, um, yeah. Or, I met this girl. She's got very curly blonde hair. Things starts with a K. I don't quite remember, oh, but now we're God. BFFs. So one thing we've discussed a few points so far this season, Danielle, is the way in which Paige is getting various counterparts or mirrors. Mm -hmm. Um, And we've seen that happen with Nina. We've seen that happen uh, with Kimmy, obviously, over and over again. And here I think the, like, counterpoint or pairing is Paige and Martha, not only for, like, this, uh, you know, overly elaborate friend (laughs) Less segue, but because to the realization that much of what they took to be true is in fact it's all lies, as Paige would say. Right. They have two different reactions to it. I think that that's right. I, I like the parallel between Paige and Martha, the sort of like absence of friends or absence of like external reality check, in part because. It's not as though there are, like, there are people in their lives, right? For Martha, there's, like, FBI dudes. And her parents, yeah. And her parents. But she, you know, she's not divulging any of the bad things about Clark to her parents very, very pointedly. Right. And for Paige, like, Pastor Tim and his wife do have, like, like, they're there. And yet, it seems like the people that are in their lives have their own sort of, like, very 
intense constellation of interests that like kind of prevents them from just being there for either Martha or Paige, right? Great point. And to take it even further, they're of different generations, right? It's yeah. literally, you know, child to parent in yeah. terms of Martha and her parents. And it's, you know, 20 years or whatever, 25 years between Pastor Tim and Alice and Paige. And like, I apologize, but except sorry, not sorry. Like there's the religious, like yeah. parental paternal role uh, happening as well with Pastor Tim and Alice. So like in to your point that like they only have these people who are not giving them the reality check. Yeah. There's a way in which the gap in generation, like family role, kinship role, psychological role is playing into all of that. Yeah, I think that that's absolutely right. And and the page acting out by going to Pastor Tim's is is just like endlessly fascinating to me. It's in some ways the parallel is that like Martha Martha like acting out, like her version of acting out, right, is calling her parents. Yeah. And that that has been the case from the jump because like her parents were never supposed to know about Clark. Like it, 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 you know, Good, good callback, yeah. Right? So, like, that is also a version of acting out, but it's not people who can be like, you know, here is the reality check. Here is what's going on. Here is a way, like, a way out of that. The other thing that I'm thinking about with with Paige is that the way that she, it's like, right, it's very clear that she's testing her parents, we, I don't think we get that same testing from Martha, right? She's not trying to test Clark. She's like a caged animal, right? Mm-hmm. And trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to, like, survive. And Paige is, like, trying to feel out. Like, it's almost like feel out where the invisible fence lines are. I don't know why I'm in a, like, a pet. <laughs> can, can I take your this point further? Yeah. Because I think you're onto something. You know. Um, really thinking in metaphors this week. <laughs> great. Good job, us. Um, I'm usually not capable of that, so I'll take it. Figuratively, I think you're exactly right, or yeah. psychologically that's right. But then also physically you're right with regards to Paige, because we have two moments in this episode where it's her parents literally are like physically or arguably three times physically yeah. like restricting her boundaries so it's yeah. like in the car and Paige has again holly taylor really channeling matthew reese uh acting coaching sad face yeah, yeah, yeah. um you know is number one potentially then the two more obvious ones are she's trying to get back into the house from the garage yes. and they elizabeth and philip shoulder to shoulder yeah locking her from doing so and then of course when like elizabeth goes to like physically shut her up with yeah. her hand um in their bedroom absolutely i mean i i hadn't been thinking about the the i hadn't been thinking about like the physical interactions of these but you're absolutely right and Paige is, like, understandably upset, right? When you learn – and in the same way that Martha is understandably upset, when Correct. you learn that the way that you understand the world is actually not how the world around you, like, exists, like, that is a, like, a real oh, fuck moment. Mm-hmm. And it send, it has sent both of these characters into a tailspin. The problem is – and, and those tailspins have, like, incredibly high stakes, Right. Like yes. Martha's are literally life or death, even though she doesn't realize it. Yes. And Paige's does she point? Do you think? I think only with the like, let me show you who I really am. Like, 
that seems like the first time if she has realized it, this is the first time that she has. Great read. Okay, because I think that her desire to leave is like a function of being caged and a function of like not having not having a coping strategy. I don't think it's a it's about that she like fears that Clark will kill her. Yeah. Otherwise, she wouldn't have gotten to that like weird abandoned house <laughs> right. or gotten in the car with Hans. This woman yeah. has no like survival instinct. Right. Who is, who is this admittedly handsome South African man talking to me and telling I me? I would get also into the want car? to get in his car. Who wouldn't? Whom's among us? Uh-huh. I'm a friend of your husband. No one's <laughs> supposed to even know you have a husband. This guy knows, like, you're going to die. <laughs> and he just so happened to drive by as you were walking to your car. Martha, idiot. Idiots are us over here. <laughs> Paige, Some- not so much of an idiot, but the the page of it all, the sort of – so we have – so first she acts out by going to Pastor Tim's, which we both agree is like like hilarious. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> then we got that exchange in the garage. When I want to throw a fit, I always go to my pastor. <laughs> I feel angry about you saying that. <laughs> you think we're losing listeners because I'm ragging on Christianity every episode? <laughs> no, I think I think if anything, we're <laughs> okay. Two things: number one, losing listeners, not like we're starting from a high number, and there's many to lose in an absolute sense. Point number two: if anything, I think it's my insistence on making you uncomfortable that would be the cause of losing listeners. Re God. <laughs> I mean, if they haven't jumped ship at this point, they're stuck with us. We get the Pastor Tim of it all. <laughs> like, I got to get back to the point. I get the Pastor Tim of it all. Then there's the exchange in the in the garage. And then there is the exchange in the bedroom, which I think maybe we should linger on a little bit. Um, where, as you said, uh, this is where we get Elizabeth, like, physically trying to like cover Paige's mouth. But before that Paige, like she doesn't burst in. She knocks very polite. Thank you. Paige. (laughs) Because the last time she didn't knock, her parents were like 69 ing on the bed. So lesson learned. (laughs) (laughs) So Paige comes into the bedroom and she's like, who are these people? Like, are these, are these people in my family? Like we went to Disney world with this person, like, like Aunt Helen. And it's like, Aunt Helen, like, Paige, great call because we knew that that wasn't your Aunt Helen. A couple of things are interesting about this exchange. One is there is the like Paige is trying to test the boundaries and this particular scene feels a little bit less like testing the boundaries or like that it's that it starts there but then it becomes this sort of like affective explosion yes. that is not the character of the exchange of the other two exchanges. There's a kind of like uncontrollableness. Like Paige has worked herself up and is like sort of dialing it up every question she asks. Yep. Which Holly Taylor, amazing acting in this scene. Because the dialing up is also not only in like escalating the question, it's not only the like how fast she is talking or asking them, it's also the timber of her voice is escalating. Exactly. Exactly. But there's also the fact that, like, they are trying to, like, quiet her. So they're trying to meet her questions. Like, their strategy has been to, like, be as honest as they can be without further endangering her, right? Like, so they're trying to 
meet and answer her questions and also like get her to shut the fuck up because Henry's down the hall. <laughs> Henry is, is indeed down the hall. Henry is definitely like masturbating to his picture of like Sammy. <laughs> like, he's not listening. If Henry hasn't picked up on this bullshit by now, like he's fine. No, he's he's too busy. Like his parents walk in the door at ten o'clock at night, and then and within ninety seconds they have left again. And he's like, he's "I got my handheld to go to bed. Yeah, go to bed at ten. Lights off at ten. It's nine forty-five. <laughs> oh my god! What did you make of the sort of outburst in the bedroom? I think your point about the escalation of the affect there is the key one because that's not only in the way that Paige is becoming in that particular scene. Mm-hmm. It's also in that Elizabeth's like physical spy response of, I need to make this person be quiet yeah. right this fucking second. Yeah. And her immediate recoiling from that, yeah. that I think also communicates that escalation. I think that that's right. And like you, and I think in this moment with Carrie Russell, just like you're saying, you sort of see the, like the tension between, I know how to, deal with this and I don't know how to deal with this when it's my Mm. daughter. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, but then after that, so Paige is asking good questions. I just want to put that out there. So after that, we get Philip later, Philip sort of comes into Paige's room. They take their standard seats, I think on the floor. They seem to always be sitting side by side on the floor. It's like, sit on the bed guys. Um, and Philip like answers some of the questions that she asked, which I just felt like like Philip is good cop, right? Like Philip is good cop always in the relationship with Paige. Correct, Reed. Yeah. So it it was interesting also in relation to earlier on in the exchange with Pastor Tim when Philip's like, just be 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 gentle, or he says like be calm with her, something like that. And Elizabeth snaps back and is like, don't tell me how to deal with my daughter, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But it was like the, like, embodied manifestation of that advice was Philip walking into the room. It was. And it's also his, he's not denying that, like, Paige's, you know, he's not denying Paige's understanding of events as a lie. He instead, he says, it's not all a lie. Yeah. And here are some specific memories and photos yeah. of the nuclear familial scene. Yeah. Um, where here is your brother being born and you insisting to go to the hospital. Yeah. Here is you at where wherever they were camping, I think it was. Yeah. And here's you in and the your blue brother mountains. sharing a tent. Yeah, in the blue mountains where uh Henry was afraid of being eaten by a bear, just like Henry. But we do get this like great job where Paige is like, he told me not to say anything and she hasn't. (laughs) Great point. I've never caught on this. She's like demonstrating her spy secrecy. She's like, I am very good at keeping a secret. You didn't know that. I'm now like set like 16 and you didn't know that. Yeah. And on that point, part of the first conversation they have back in the garage is we need to be able to trust you with truth comes this responsibility, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And the irony is that 
Paige is extremely and in fact excessively responsible. She has yeah. no teen friends. Her best friend is her pastor and pastor's wife. And she parents Henry, yeah. keeps secrets for Henry when necessary. She is the most responsible, like familial actor yeah. among the four of them, quite, you know, is I think an arguable point one could make. And then here she is, um, you know, with her multiple, uh, very understandable outbursts. Yeah. And so then the other, like, piece of this, right, is that Philip says to Elizabeth, like, you should, you should go to Russia. You should take her with you. Which was like, how are they getting to Russia? Now, I guess in my brain, the the answer to that is, like, somehow has to do with the Pastor Tim Kenya trip. Because why would we keep mentioning it if it wasn't mm. connected? It's a great pre-dossier <laughs> dossier entry. I love to see it. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to keep talking about Kenya here. Um, but so we get this exchange then later on with page and elizabeth where elizabeth comes in and she is she says that she's gonna go visit her mother and that she wants page to go with her which was like a very sweet moment extremely sweet somewhat undercut by the soundtrack choice for that scene (laughs) Which we, I'll, I'll get to you later to explain that in a little yeah. more depth. But the the lyrics of the song are the exact opposite of the emotional connection that is potentially being microforged okay. in that particular moment between Paige and Elizabeth, which I was totally fascinated by and hadn't picked up on previous times. The and it's the only chance, right? Yeah. And Paige is going to have a lot of this is your only chance to do this thing in her near future. One presumes. Yeah, and also that, like, I don't think that Paige quite grasps grasps the the weight of this. Like, the risk involved, the bringing of Paige, like, all of it. Like, there's so much. And, like, maybe maybe she does, but it seems like we don't actually get Paige, like, processing it. And I'm inter- I would be interested in, to, like, Paige's internal monologue around this point, you know? Yeah, because one can presume that she both would see this as here is my chance to finally have a genuine connection. Yeah. Or this is yet another lie that they're telling me to try to get me on their side or pull the wool over my eyes. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, you know, still a lot of tension (laughs) in the, like, page bringing page in which also maybe like gives us a segue into the like claudia and gabriel stuff before we do that can i ask you one question sure what was your read of the eagerness with which pastor tim and alice were like page you should just go home with your parents what a good question. I hadn't thought of it. I mean, like, they've got a couple of, like, weird, exchange, like, eye ex- exchanges, bet- Pastor Tim and Alice. Like, they exchange glances a couple of different times, which I'm like, okay, we know that she hasn't told them. I, I know that it's maybe supposed to, like, read as though maybe she did tell them. But I think that they are afraid that Philip and Elizabeth are, like, abusive, Oh, I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, I mean, that's an extremely plausible interpretation. I mean, we, you know, my 
I guess my interpretation or one possible interpretation is not so far off in that Pastor Tim knows that Philip is willing to directly confront him and threaten physical violence. Yeah, yeah, him. yeah. Yeah, right. that's that's why, like, exactly. Yeah. That's what I was thinking, that, like, Ph- Pastor Tim has been at the receiving end of Philip's, like, force and not even the, like, full version of it. Mm-hmm. And so I think I was, like, jumping from there to oh, maybe there's also, like, something... They they fear something more insidious that they don't want to, like, bring on to themselves or bring on to Paige. And not an exclu- not exclusive of those interpretations. It could be a strategic long game for Tim anyway, like himself, to, and Alice as well, to be like, okay, we know that Philip and Elizabeth are not so thrilled about Paige's relationship to the church and all the time that she spends here. So here we'll give in to them so that when we like really want to assert our, you know, connection to Paige later on, we'll have a little more like, yeah. Goodwill up. No, I think that that's all. I think like all of these are probably like, there's a concentric, there are concentric circles that they, where they all overlap and like it, it's somewhere swimming in all of those. Well, we're not only doing analogies, we're doing geometry. <laughs> The sine and the cosine. No, just kidding. <laughs> absolutely <Yeah>. kidding. <laughs> I thought you were going with like sine and signify, and we were going to do some <laughs> semiotics. You know that I could do that. I but. have more than I could. <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> you, you, you beautifully segued us to Claudia and Gabriel, <laughs> and I was just like, I see what you're doing, and I'm going somewhere else. I know so that Danielle. that's your move, and I love it. This is why we do this together. Okay, so we have talked about the tension with Paige. I'm bringing back the exact same, the exact same it. segue. Go Please do not it. cut this out. <laughs> 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 so we have all of this tension with Paige, and from that, there's also like the Claudia and Gabriel of it all, who are we sort of like meet them in a diner. Thank God. Producer Amy, we're back in a diner. This diner has a very long menu, which we'll come to later. But they are talking about – first, they're talking about director at S, right, which is like the the bringing in of the, of the children's. Then they're talking – then, like, Gabriel's sort of explicitly asking about what's going on at the center in the wake of the sort of stuff from last season – which I was fascinated by, and I guess like I had just assumed that he was up, he was up to date on all of that before he came. So it was just kind of an interesting like timeline and decentralization of knowledge kind of thing. And just to, I mean, were you shocked to see Claudia back? I was, but I almost wanted to welcome her. <laughs> wow. Because I'm going to cut the, that. Turn the TikTok camera on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay, can, you, can you repeat that one? <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, we can't have a TikTok. I, like... <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> my students are trying to convince me to get on TikTok. It's a bizarre dynamic. Elena is trying to convince me to get on TikTok. <laughs> She's like, oh, on my For You page, I'm like, I can't. I make my little sister download the TikTok and send it to me because I literally hate when Ah. you click on the link and then it goes to another one after. It's so annoying. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I need to sit with that one for a minute. (laughs) We make Tori download the TikTok. Because also, like, my parents don't know how to... My parents are the typical, like... They have 75,000 tabs open. 
<laughs> like Ooh, I went through yeah. and closed not even my my parents like internet tabs, but like the like apps that were open on the phone. <laughs> you gotta purge those every day or two. It's John. I don't think they even knew that purging was a pro- was a process they could engage in. Uh-huh. Anyway, so what's this like? Are we talking? There were forty open hundreds. Hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if this is if you have this, but I have an email address that like I've had literally since since I first got Gmail. And that is, like, where all of my spam goes. And so everyone's – I try to, like, keep up with it. But every, like – at the end of every week, I make sure that I'm, like, you know, that it's as clean as it could be, right? Like, deleting dumb stuff. Mm-hmm. My Both of my parents, their phones are just that. They're just – you know, you've got your Internet Explorer – Gmail, <laughs> like, <laughs> think they need or like the you know, like Safari, the the G- Gmail app, the Mail app, the that's text the cl- message that's app. The classic, like our parents' generation, is they have both the Mail <laughs> and the Gmail yeah. apps open for the same account at the same time. That is, it's that like is chef's kiss. The Ticketmaster app from a concert they went to six months ago, yep. like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The MTA app for the train tickets, right. the parking app, the mm-hmm. like make an appointment <laughs> at the doctor app, the like <laughs> double check the appointment at the doctor, the like <laughs> it's like make an appointment at the hairdresser. That tab is also open in the internet, but also open <laughs> in the app. It's like I went through and I was like closing apps for minutes and I didn't get through all of them and I was just like what's happening here I have my phone is in the other room I have currently the only app open on my phone is Spotify because I was using it when I was writing with my friends earlier today that's it close the app when you're done with it it's like an an opus Um, I'm glad we turned the TikTok camera on (laughs) to get the whole thing I was like how did this start Oh, we're off the rails. Uh, so off the rails. All right, we'll get back on the rails with our friends Claudia and Gabriel. Claudia and G- I was comforted to see Claudia because, like, I don't like her, but at least she feels less slimy than Gabriel. Interesting. A reversal of sorts from my illustrious co-host. Um, <laughs> As you will. I mean... It's an interesting dynamic here because we get the information, which is new not only to Gabriel, but also to us, that the center is concerned about the like second generation situation after Jared killed his fucking parents and sister, which is very, <laughs> very legitimate worry. But then they're like, nah, this will be fine. Let's yeah. increase the pressure on Philip, Elizabeth, and Paige to make that happen. Yeah. Surely nothing uh, can go wrong. And indeed, I forget if this is Claudia or Gabriel says, the risk is that they're going to be too slow with Paige. It's not too slow if if the end result is simply she doesn't go on a murder spree. <laughs> like, like, I don't know. There's something about the, like, benchmarks that they're looking for that feel, like, off base. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and Claudia is... 
trying to handle Gabriel the way that Gabriel tries to handle Philip. Yeah. Claudia's, you yeah. Know, Phil, Gabriel says, good observation. You know, I am not sure we should be trying it again. And Claudia is like, if anybody can do it, you can do it. Yeah. Which is almost verbatim a Literally. line that Gabriel has given yeah. to our boy Philip. That's a really good point and one that I had not thought of. So I appreciate that. I think also Claudia, it's like clear that Claudia is manipulating in the role that she's in, right? And we've seen her do that. But maybe there's just something that was like comforting about Gabriel being the one manipulated. <laughs> you know? No, I, th- I think there is. And there's also clearly the we've been through a lot of shit together nature of their relationship. <laughs> there's the handhold at the end, like pronounced handhold. Yeah. I actually really liked the way they blocked I that. I need to talk about that. this. Keep going. <laughs> um, you know, and there's also this line of like, I can think out loud with you after all these years. I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you think that Claudia and Gabriel have been involved? Yes, obviously. It's just Did, like, doesn't Claudia tell Elizabeth this? No, she tells Elizabeth that she has been with the other guy, the the like her mentor, the one who oh, died. Okay. okay. Oh, that's right, Zhukov. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah. I know. I'm remembering. Yeah. Um, yes. The, no like, doubt. I was just like, I don't want this. <laughs> Oh my god, the romance of it all, the like grasping hands, the like we can think out loud together. It's like stop being smarmy. <laughs> See, I don't think there is anything smarmy about it. It oh, seemed very like genuine, very we've been through some shit together and we've gotten to the other side and have this intense working relationship that's fucked up, but also very intense and almost, yeah. you know, kind of loving in a certain way. And perhaps maybe you yeah. hate Gabriel and Claudia too much to. to it might be that too. I like listen. <laughs> I'm I the goggles are fogged here, but <laughs> it's, it's a lot. Swimming metaphors, I think. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, shall we head to the segments? Let's go to the segments. All right, I, I have a, I have a feeling this is going to be quite the dossier. So I, I give the floor to you. Well, it's, like, both quite the dossier and also, like, short and sweet. Like, Martha, dead. Martha's parents, also dead. Like, <laughs> like it just, it seems, like, listen, I wouldn't be surprised if the next episode opens on Philip being, like, it's done. Um, I also wouldn't be surprised if there's, like, some longer thing and we get that at the end. I Just, like, it, Martha, dead. And also... She told her parents, which she wasn't supposed to do. They weren't supposed to be at the wedding. It wasn't supposed to be a thing. And now she's told them that they're going, that she's going to be there, which just like makes it even more complicated. So I feel like the parents have got to go too. Okay. Question, and you partly answered this, but just so I can get you on the record. Do you think the next show, the next episode, which we'll talk about with uh, our dear friend, John, um, will open in that bedroom or not like in that moment after Philip has pulled off the wig or some time has passed. No, I think some time will have passed, whether it be like an hour or a day or something, because I feel like one of the things they're good about doing is like moments like this. We'll know how this is resolved at 
in the beginning of the next episode. I feel like they don't usually like linger in the way that they did and then open back up. So that seems like a fair assessment. Yeah, that's sort of like where I am. We shall see. That's all I've got in dossier. I've been a lot of death, <laughs> lots of death in the dossier, and we're going to count your the trip to Kenya as a cover for Elizabeth <laughs> yeah, okay. to smuggle her and Page. To I mean, why else have they mentioned it six times? It's not that interesting in the grand scheme of the show. It would be cool if they went. It would be gross and white saviory, but like location Dan- change, cool. Danielle, the, like, royal of segues, if we want to talk about white savory and white perceptions of the other, boy, do I have an episode for you. Um, So the titular of this episode, Boston's a drawn, which we haven't even mentioned yet. So, I mean, the basic, you know, plot outline is Elizabeth and Philip bug the or divert the phone in Zadron's room so that when the CIA calls to do a security check, it'll go to Elizabeth, like hacking into the phone lines yeah. to approve uh, Philip being able to take uh, Zadron out. So uh, by that, I mean out to the car, not like murked out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so they sit in the back of the car. They're in their CIA get-ups. Yeah. Philip looks like he's 61 years old <laughs> um, in this costume that he's in the skies he has on. And they have a, like, very strange and meta like, fuckery conversation yeah. with uh, Abbas and Zadran. They're trying to sabotage the Mujahideen yeah. by saying that the other Mujahideen are about to sabotage Abbas and Zidran. Yeah. Right? Before we get into the more problematic elements of that, did you have any particular thoughts on, like, the spycraft elements of that? Well, it did feel a little bit weird that, like, Elizabeth is just... Elizabeth and Philip were just turned around in the front seat. Like, there was something that felt, like, very sloppy... I I don't know. And like, you know, the pretense is that like, we want to go somewhere where like other people can't hear this, blah, blah, blah. But like, we're just going to drive off and like, as CIA agents, like chat about this like big deal thing in a car. Meanwhile, there are other people like sitting outside your door. Like, it's just like, there was something about it that felt a little like, I don't know, like not thought through. I I don't know. That's, that was where I was. Yeah. I mean, there's, they're really putting to use the limited knowledge that Philip has garnered from Yusef yeah. in the last couple episodes, or his last episode in particular, yeah. to try to work on to try to work on Sidron. And then of course, like, okay, this is fine, it is what it is, it is what it is. And then they give Abbas and Zadron like a speech where, as well, I'm sure we'll get to later in the episode, they have him enact, um, they have George Giorgio, the actor, enact Almost every single trope about the, like, quote-unquote violence, quote-unquote Islamic, quote-unquote fundamentalist, yeah. right? The, well, it's, you must die as a martyr. It's the greatest honor. Um, what does your intelligence say? As I am a boss and strong, I am the one who cuts the throats. I would gut everybody like a goat. It's like every bad trope, they just were like, let's put it in the dialogue here. And, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know. And I'll, I'll leave it there and ask you what you, th- what you think. No, I mean, I, I felt similarly and also like, it's like both that and then the plot device of it, which yes. is yes. let's, let's like take this caricature of like 
someone who is from Afghanistan, right? Let's take this, this like caricature and then let's also like use the caricatured nature of it to our benefit because like ultimately what they're doing, right, is they're trying to activate the radical to like um, go after his sort of like less radical allies. Or at least what Philip and Elizabeth are telling him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Less radical allies. And like a little bit from the dress, I think we're supposed to get that they are they Mm -hmm. are slightly less radical. Yeah, there's one that's just like in like a sweater when and and one that doesn't have a beard, right? So like again, like it's like both the the like caricatured nature of this and then also the way that is like playing on that caricature for the plot device that that all feels like a little bit gross right they're like oh what's the plot device that we can use about these like brown men to like exactly use the pejorative term or like speed or whatever except now they're just oh well they just like violently and like gruesomely and brutally kill other brown men that's what we yeah the west think of what yeah. they are and what they do exactly exactly and it, it's just like I didn't love it. <laughs> didn't love it either. Didn't love it either. And I mean, and then we just kind of get him standing there, right? And After the he room. has literally slit their throats, right? Mm-hmm. Like, he has done precisely the thing that he said that, that he would do. And and there's also the, like, again, like, the CIA agents of it all just sort of, like, having no power over this. There's, like, there's some real messed up power dynamics and and surveillance, absence of surveillance stuff that's happening in all of this yeah not surprised by it but like don't love it yeah let's talk about stan and adderholt <laughs> another kind of racist interaction i'm <laughs> 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 just always like waiting for racist stan to like rear his ugly head and it like was it was like at the tip of his tongue yeah so we get so adderholt's kind of like waiting for stan and like catches Stan a little bit off guard and Stan's like, I am, I'm busy. I got to go. And Adderholt's like, well, I wanted to follow up about Nina. And Stan's I like, have some mm, more questions fuck. about Nina. Yeah. <laughs> Especially cause you know, he lied to Taffet about Nina just, you know, two yeah. episodes ago or three episodes ago, something like that. And like, this is to go back to what we were talking about a little bit earlier, like good at his job, bad at his job. Right. On the one hand, Stan is like so bad at his job. On the other hand, he reads Adderholt like super well here, which is like, you're focusing on me. And like, really what we need to be doing is focusing on who actually planted the bug. And like, I did not do it. I agree with that. And I would add that, also, Adderall should be extremely sus about Stan and Nina, right? There is oh, obviously so much more to the totally. story, which just adds, a, you know, a certain kind of twist to the fact that Stan is actually kind of right in this particular Exactly. Instance. Exactly. Adderholt, good at his job. <laughs> like, oh, for every sure. Every time proves himself to be way better at his job than Stan. Yeah. Stan, bumbling, angry, what are you accusing me of? You're not as smart as you look, et cetera, et cetera. Also, rolling into Martha's house at 9.45 p.m. Like, come on, man. Maybe Adderall should have asked Stan, hey, where were you last night? I tried to call you at home uh, because I had a lead. And can you tell me where you were at, bro? Uh, To be before cell phones and email. (laughs) Oh, my God. What a fucking life. (laughs) 
All right. What else? What else do we uh, have in gloss here? I'm lost in my reverie of what it would be like to like do our job if there was no email oh, and cell God. phones. Like, what did people do? They just like were done. Yeah. Ugh. It's amazing. Dream. The dream. All right, I'm going to move on to goal. Let's move to an institution that, like, bans anybody from using any technology. Oh, my. So and got, not in a passive-aggressive way, which is like, no. I hope no one's checking their email after after hours when the email has been sent after No, hours. but in, like, there is no email. Like, there's just no email system. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. That's, that's Only that's carrier pigeons goal. in. <sighs> done. Love that. All right, Love let's that. go to Lisa and Maurice. Indeed. And we get kind of the follow-up to our one scene. I think it was one scene in the last episode with mm-hmm. Elizabeth and yeah. Lisa and Maurice, where Maurice is like, I'm running the show now, and I know you're running the show, so I'm going to circumvent Lisa, right? She is like the literal physical pawn right. who is going to take this camera in her bag onto the Northrop Grumman floor, but... I'm going to overrule your plan. I'm going to be the one to deliver your bag, uh, to deliver the bag and get the money um, at the end of the mission after Lisa's successful. So there's just like a sidelining or a writing out of Lisa that's notable, I think. Yeah. Well, and also there's like a... Last episode, and we get this a little bit in the, um, like previously on, right? You get this exchange where Maurice is like, we like we want in on this we know what's up we want in on this and in that moment it's like very clear that or rather to me the way that i was reading it was that he is almost frustrated that like lisa didn't pick up on this right that like he has somehow like entered in as the savior and the like the brains of the operation and i think that from writing his understanding from yeah. his understanding yeah and i think that that writing out of lisa is like a further sort of like manifestation of that yeah and it's uh, i mean we've kind of lamented like the tragedy of lisa in this season yeah including the fact that it's kind of only you know a scene maybe two in any given episode so it's never like she even gets to take yeah. the center stage of her story even in the grand structure context of the season of the Americans. absolutely it's also that like it's it's like she doesn't get to take center stage for her story and also like that we don't like we haven't gotten very much of that story right like even though this is like a piece of the puzzle that's been present basically since the beginning right we're only getting like a tidbit not only of lisa but also like of like her her work at the right northrop grumman right Uh right like it's it's like peppered in so it's like it's it's marginalized even within a storyline in which it should be very important. Yeah, I think that's a totally accurate read on the situation. And Elizabeth is pissed. So I'm interested to see what happens with pissed off Elizabeth because that's actually my favorite Elizabeth. Do you have any predictions? Well, some, I like, would like game? Maurice's kneecaps to be broken by like like KGB thugs, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> okay. Having watched. So I guess this is different than when, uh, quite different than when uh, our audience will listen to it. But having just watched uh, Last of Us episode, oh um, yeah, kneecap torture, I would obviously. I mean, apparently, like we're going to do some pro fash. Like maybe torture is good in the Last of Us, <laughs> um, in this last episode, which is uh, concerning. 
is it maybe torture is good or is it that like Joel has this wild gear that we have not seen yet? Uh, both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that was my read of it too. <laughs> I mean, also miraculous healing powers is the entire thing that has identified. Uh, I'm dead. I'm I'm a, I'm a minute from death because of sepsis. I've killed three people and walked four miles. Um, I am the Terminator. <laughs> yeah, I, I was okay. listening to a podcast where they called him Joel Wick, <laughs> and I was like. Spot on. <laughs> I've seen zero John Wick movies, but I, I get the reference nonetheless. Um, okay, let's go to KGB politics. Oh, you, <laughs> you, I was, can you, do you want to hear the segue I had come oh, up oh, with? Oh, yeah, please. <laughs> From that. Speaking of somebody who would love to watch a John Wick movie, it's Oleg time. Because <laughs> we know that Oleg, if we could good. <laughs> transfer his current self to the 2020s, late 20-teens, he would love the John Wick franchise. Yes, he would he would be studying them for new moves. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, for when he has to punch Dan in the fucking face. Exactly. <laughs> and like it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so we get um Arcadi is like, I'm over like uh, Operations of Fear, like we're done. And then uh, Tatiana and Oleg have this exchange and Tatiana's like, it would be bad for Arkady. And Oleg's like, Arkady doesn't care. And she's like, it would be bad for Arkady. Yeah. There's this moment of Tatiana clearly has ins in the center in Moscow yeah. that she has been maybe vaguely hinted at. And here they come a little bit more to the fore. I want more Tatiana. Like I okay. like I was like, oh, this is an interesting dynamic. It's not like Nina's like, oh no, like I'm I'm caught. It's like Tatiana's like, I am here, I will be the boss one day. Like, shape up you idiots. <laughs> Tatiana, the original girl boss, is that what we're? Yeah. Is that, is that the Lean the proposal? fuck in. <laughs> <laughs> This is a good time to mention that I think Tatiana got a glow up this episode. You did think Tatiana got a glow up. I think she did get a glow up in this episode. And, like, we get a little more, like, chemistry yeah. with Oleg, perhaps as a result or connected to it in some way. Yeah. Through an offer of pastries. And Oleg's like, oh, no, I've been with my dad to Prague. Like, I don't need your fucking Washington, D.C. pastries. And I was like, how did you know where that pastry was from? I had no idea. <laughs> Oh, yeah, very cultured. Um, very cultured. Clearly. Loves his hockey, loves Blondie, John Wick, and Czech pastries. <laughs> what a true Renaissance man, Honestly. if I've ever seen one. <laughs> Arcadi, okay. I'm laughing because we have to identify <laughs> that there's a, there's a scene of the show, The Americans, that is just three... Right, clerks or secretaries yeah. typing away at their typewriters with a lit cigarette in hand, furiously typing yeah. up the notes from the bug and mail yeah, robot. Yeah. And Arcata is just there dramatically smoking with piercing eyes, yeah. watching this happen, thinking very, very hard. Scene. That's it. I just want to say that when I saw this scene, first I was like, okay, is this KGB? Like, is this, is this America? Is this CIA? Like, which institute? And then I was like, 
Of course it's the of course it's the Soviet Union because they have typewriters and the Americans they the computers are crappy but they have computers like this has to be Soviet. I thought you were going to go a different direction oh. which is everybody is fucking blasting SIGs and oh, thus yeah. we are in the Soviet embassy. Well, I'm going to put this way. I've never smoked cigarettes. I don't ever desire to, but if I ever did, I think Arkady Ivanovich would be the reason. <laughs> I cannot wait for us to have him on the pod and for you to say that to him. Popcorn, <laughs> you inspired me to start smoking cigarettes. Amazing. If anybody has, on that note, if anybody has an IMDb Pro <laughs> subscription, we are, uh, hit us up. Yeah. Our lines are open. Our DMs are open. Our DMs um, are open. <laughs> so I do want to like note, though, that this is an interesting attempt by Oleg and Tatiana to make Arkady or compel Arkady yeah. to be a more bureaucratic politics minded actor than he typically is because it's true. Like Oyeg is correct that Arkady generally does not give a fuck about what's going to be that good or that bad. Mostly does not care about how he's going to look to the center because he understands himself to be in a role of secure power as the resident in, in DC but there's like a way in which Tatiana and Tatiana convincing Oleg presents, if not actual precariousness to that situation yeah. for Arkady, the looming threat that his like hold could become precarious at some point. Yeah, and and it's like interesting, right? Because Oleg got this job because like the other dude Abby. got fired. <laughs> so it's like it. Well, you mean Arkady? Sorry, Arkady, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Arkady got this job because, like, you know, Nina planted the... the diamonds. The diamonds <laughs> on the other guy, and it's like, you know, no one's seat of power is so secure in, like, in this world. But there's something about Arkady that just, like... I think Oleg is right when he says this, like, Arkady doesn't care. And, and, and part of it is, like, Arkady is kind of good at his job. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, like doesn't seem to attach his whole person to it, which is kind of interesting. And actually cares about what the, like what his technical subordinates think and want witness against what he knew was the right decision to give in to Oleg's dad and send Oleg back. He followed Oleg's wishes, which Oleg kind of like doubly pays back in this episode first by telling Tatiana, you know, Arkady has always looked out for me. And then secondly, by, you know, working with Tatiana to get, um, to get him to keep operations at theater going for at least a little while longer, you know, and they're, and they're not making the case of we're going to find some good evidence yeah. at some point, although they try to convince him that there are two employees that are flirting with one another, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, I have to say it is instead the, it's fine if we just kind of let it die on its own yeah. and eventually like they'll realize there's no in- intelligence and we'll shut it down. Then. Like let it come from them. Also just like, I don't, I don't think this is what you intended, but kind of interesting link back to the read of Stan you gave earlier on like feminine intuition that like 
there is like Tatiana makes that point. She's like, maybe like, I just like hear these things differently, which I just kind of loved. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Oh my God. It's it's in everyone's interest to keep Operation Zephyr going. Do you think there will be anything from Operation Zephyr ever produced that's actionable or useful for the KGB? I feel like there will be. And I want it to be like the same, have the same reaction as like, oh, we got to paint these cars. <laughs> <laughs> Still, it's, um, this is how left pilled I am that like just <laughs> randomly the other day, I was like, I was thinking to myself, ah, I'm just remembering that scene when Arcadi spray painted the signal with like such zest and aplomb as the cars and he's waving them through um, at the end, at the end of the first season. Um, what what a moment also connected to this episode because we get mention of like mom was really sick so or mom was hurt right yeah okay um should we talk a little bit about the fact that hans didn't fuck up his job today (laughs) (laughs) miraculous honestly several times like he did a great job he spots the uh, person with government plates the government plates catches particularly nice yeah went into martha's tips off philip gets martha to go into the car yeah um you know gives clark the all clear at the end that it's okay for him to go in somewhat to elizabeth's surprise she's like glad that hans is working and, and also thought like, she did an okay job training but also is like hans just like shot the guy in the eye yeah. for no reason um as yeah. well hans is on the is on the up and up <laughs> good well, good for you hans good for you hans um, okay last thing in diner talk as promised as promised last thing in glass diner talk claudia and gabriel are not here for american food choices and mostly they're not here for the amount of choices that they have there are 20 kinds of omelets and 14 kinds of hamburgers. Wait, but then when the when the waitress comes and she's like, <laughs> we have chamomile tea and English, and she's like, I just want tea! Hot tea. Hot tea. <laughs> and Gabriel's like, me too. I'm like, thank God that these two didn't decide to meet up in a uh, like cheesecake factory. <laughs> they would still be reading the menu. <laughs> cheesecake factory is like diner menus on steroids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And oh my God. and and I love I loved the line. So of course Claudia gives like the paradox of you know American culture or whatever. Blah, blah. And, and then Gabriel just gives. I thought it was a Greek diner. Which yes. is just like- <laughs> and Claudia's like not here for it. Yeah, which I also great, wasn't. Great joke. Great line, Gabriel. <laughs> All right, let's get into Bar Nostalgia of the Unremembered 80s, a Uh, segment whose meaning I still don't know. (laughs) We're almost halfway through the American. I know. As of next week. I know, I know. Okay. Um, All right. Did you, did the song that plays at the end, like, did you recognize it at all? Literally not at all. All right, we have it's synth pop season on the Americans. We have Ola Vienna by Ultravox, a classic song used in many a film and TV uh, situations. Most recently, I did have to look this up. I was like, I know I heard this recently. It was in the most recent season of The Crown, um, playing over a Princess Diana scene. I but only anyway. recognize Vienna by Billy Joel. <laughs> that honestly, that checks out. I don't. <laughs> 
I don't support it, but I <laughs> believe you. <laughs> I was like, is this not a Billy Joel cover? <laughs> no. <laughs> Def- definitely not. Um, our, our, waits for you. Our, 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 our Brit boys were not, uh, I think, channeling the Long Island core of the one and only Billy Joel. The one and only, it's right. <laughs> <laughs> the one and only Ultravox. A, it's just like, you know. It's like an, an annoying banger, but a banger of a song. Yeah. A. B, and this is the moment I was referencing earlier, there's the, like, line that's repeated in the chorus of the song Vienna playing over both Elizabeth and Paige talking about are they going to go yeah. to, you know, to visit uh, Elizabeth's mom. And then through the most of the first part of the scene between Martha and Clark, right? The refrain is, this means nothing to me in like the most dramatic <laughs> synth poppy of uh, vocal delivery possible. Wild. And I just thought that like juxtaposition, particularly to the emotional moment between Paige yeah. and Elizabeth was, uh, was telling. So in addition to the 80s-ness of it all, they also did a little commentary on what was happening. We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, I want to call out the phone that Elizabeth uses as like a member of the phone company. Good call. It's nostalgic specifically for me because my grandfather on my father's side was, I think, worked for the phone company and had one of those, or at some point didn't had one of those phones. So I like remember playing with that when I was younger. Um, But there's something very like the, the mechanics of it all, the clunkiness, like going through and like checking each of the lines and finding it mm-hmm. like very, very eighties vibes. Yeah. I mean, it really shows that if they needed to, maybe it would have been an even better cover if they were like had a telephone repair company. Honestly, then they could have merged with the mail robot repair facility and they wouldn't have had to kill Betty. Listen, in the reboot of Americans, this will be what it is. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, oh, that okay. makes me sad. Um, <laughs> not sad. Reboots. Uh, yeah, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, as we are about to have the Oscars where and Top Gun Maverick is like... Mm, is that a movie. reboot, though? <laughs> A thousand percent it is. Um, okay, last element of Bard nostalgia. Just Martha styling, right? So her hair, when Hans picks her up to go to the secret meetup with Clark, is extremely on point. Great, like, wavy, looping hair. Yeah. It's simultaneously giving 80s and giving the 1950s. A hundred percent. Really, really nice touch. And she has this tie blouse tie-up blouse situation that's like a little yellow, a little brown, maybe a little chartreuse that's happening. Yeah. Great look at the end of the episode. Great look at the end of the episode. Very, like, Martha core. Like, yes. real, like, digging into that. Yeah. Right. Martha core, as worth defining, is very stylish. That, like, the most stylish possible, like, moderately, like, dowdy. Oh, uh, yeah. It was, like, frumpy. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, that is Martha. Listen, Great. if that's the last time we see Martha, they've done her well. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Should we go to Minor Character of the Week? Yeah. Minor Character of the Week this week. We're going to give it to the two CIA officers sitting outside of Abbasine Zadron's uh, hotel room. They're played by Michael Backinson and Gregory Jones. Just one, there's not that many minor characters in this episode, but also they did some really good, like, door banging and everything's crazy and oh, we heard noises like they you know good reaction good re- good reaction um one of them is very tall i think gregory very Jones tall. character very tall um who goes in and you know the other character played by michael backinson has the classic like he would fit in very well also in the counterintelligence division of the FBI 100%. it's the hair it's the haircut and 100%. the suit cut would fit very well listen he sat really nicely on that chair <laughs> he did sit um he like he and philip exchanged some f- few glances you know good for them yeah agree agree i think it's time to go to the cave i think it is i'm going to turn the cave over to you my friend Okay, so there's an obvious journey to the cave that we're actually saving for theory ship. Yeah. And instead, I want to think about kind of like, um, like quote unquote third world feminism or global south feminism responses yeah. to September 11th, actually, Love as it. our way into the cave this week. Yeah. So I specifically want to, um, read from Mino Moalem's okay. Who's Fundamentalism. Okay. In the wake of the horrific events of September 11th, Islamic fundamentalism, quote-unquote, a discourse which has been decades in the making, mark that for the Americans' 80s-ness of it all, has finally come into its own. Islamic fundamentalism is taken to connote something that lies outside the West, a reversion to an archaic and barbaric age. It is seen as Islam's essence and the ultimate source of otherness. The barbaric other is or belongs outside civilization. He is in a permanent war with civilization, but with no possibility of entering history. He penetrates civilization with the intention of destroying it. He is a man of destruction. The barbaric other is there to legitimize and give meaning to the masculinist militarism of the quote-unquote civilized and his constant need to protect the representation of Islamic fundamentalism in the West is a deeply influenced is deeply influenced by the general racialization of Muslims and a neo-racist idiom, which has its roots in cultural essentialism. And I think that like the way that you know Malam there and there are other feminist uh, scholars and activists who are making somewhat similar points around the same time is we're talking about the early days of the quote unquote war on terror, right? This extreme othering of the figure of the Islamic fundamentalist who justifies forms of violence by the civilized West is I think something that obviously ties together these different historical eras, right? So Mualem's writing in 2001, right? We're talking about a show in the Mm eighties, but nonetheless, there's this like provocation. And this is why I thought your point about how um, Abbasim Zadran is used for a plot device of committing violence is like particularly kind of doubling down on the Islamic fundamentalism, assumptions, tropes, stereotypes, right? Call them, um, call them, you will. And I appreciated in that particular point by Moalam is that this is indeed something that's cut across history, right? That, you know, 
yes, like the, some of the roots of al-Qaeda lie in the Mujahideen, right, that are funded by the CAA in Afghanistan, that, you know, the larger discourse about the other. And this is in some ways kind of what allows, I think, Philip and Elizabeth to so convincingly yeah. take on the role of the CIA that, like, their hatred yeah. of... Uh, of like of Afghans who are just you know as Abbasan Zadran's character says all they want is to live in the land of our fathers in peace and like their hatred for or opposition to or like political opponent or military opponent to actually is able to adopt the same like position or stance yeah. towards them as a racialized other as the CIA themselves, even as the CIA is like funding yeah. and giving, trying to funnel arms to the Mujahideen. So I think that like this broader kind of othering of the quote unquote Islamic fundamentalists mm-hmm. as a means to or justification for militarist uh, imperial violence is offering an additional layer to right what we'd already highlighted is the questions we had about the depiction of Abbas and Zidran. Yeah, I, I think that that is spot on and, and that idea of like the sort of like internal othering, right? That like, oh, like they're not us, right? That there's a, that there's a, like a less radical us and that Philip and Elizabeth are like playing in that, in, in that sort of like internal divide. And and thinking about the othering that's happening there is is really really fascinating. I mean, deeply problematic, but like mm-hmm. fascinating within this within this show to think about like the way in which those things are are layered and not often understood as such. Yeah, I couldn't say say any better myself. This is a listen. I love a contemporary thinker in the cave. Look, I mean, we we have um, we've done a little different caves the past couple of weeks, right? We had yeah. uh, Schiller and McMahon last week. Oh yeah, I, I forgot correctly. about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, before that, we had Strauss, so fuck that guy. But uh, <laughs> um, yeah, happy to happy to bring in some Mina Malam and like shout out to my mentor advisor during grad school dissertation chair Ross Bachewski, who first uh, exposed this piece by Mina Malam and similar. Um, sorts of the thinkers and thoughts to me, uh, like very early on in grad school. We'll take it. We love a shout out here. We do. We do. We also have a theory ship. Yes. Would you like to kick us off, Danielle? Yeah. So as John said, like one of the probably like more expected things to do in the cave would have been to dig into a little bit of Edward Said's Orientalism, which I, which I'm sure both of us read in grad school. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, the like cover of the book is like emblazoned in my brain. Uh-huh. Exactly. Um, so I want to give this text to the federal government of the United States of America to read, read to understand how messed up their approach to the Middle East more generally, like, the uh, you know, Afghanistan, like, all of this. The literally politics, all of it. knowledge, production, yeah, yeah. Everything. So, yeah, federal mm-hmm. government, like, you've got some homework. Ironically, Danielle, I, too, would like to assign <laughs> um, some Edward Said. You know, the obvious that I would be, let's also assign into Philip and Elizabeth as they interact with the Boston Zadron. Yeah. Um, instead, I'm going to give it to Joe and Joel. I'm going to give it to Fields and Weisberg, the creators of the Americans. I love that. That seems so, right. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh-huh. Into it. Into All right. It. That ends the cave. That ends the cave. And I believe we've come to the end of this episode. We sure have. I'm honestly impressed with us. Um, oh, I'm always impressed by us. Oh, always. But specifically today, um, <laughs> I want to give thanks, as always, to producer Amy. And up next in the feed in two weeks, you'll get the season finale of season three, season three, episode 13, which is titled March 8th, 1983. And we will be joined by the illustrious John Keller, yeah, who has promised many uh, uh, a dance in the cave. <laughs> yeah, I think he insisted that we have to do, like, we have to alternate segment cave, segment cave. I think he, and he's going to lead them all the way through. I think he only wants the podcast to be the cave. You know what? That's a great point. We'll have to check the text message. Uh, group, we'll have to check the group chat records. But I'm, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's right. We're going to do a radical reimagining of our structure so that it's just like the cave and we do 15 different theorists to get through the entirety and of the And Keller episode. does them all. Keller does them all. And he demanded is. that we use the random number generator because he does not want to be prepared. He just wants to go off the cuff. Yeah, he, he loves riffing about political theory. It's his favorite thing in his life. As a professor of political theory in American politics. It, like, Keller is to political theorists as, like, myself, you, and Amy are to diner menus. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but I love it. Well, with that, thank you so much for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books. A TV podcast. Thanks for joining us on another episode of Not Quite Great Books, a TV podcast created by Daniel Hanley and John McMahon, and indirectly, producer Amy. You can find us on Twitter at NotGreatBooksTV. You can email us at NotGreatBooksTV at gmail.com. If you have comments or questions that we might potentially read and respond to on air, subscribe, download, rate, review us, tell your friends to find us at Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, and Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts. We would like to thank Less FM for Electro Trend 60s, which is the music that you heard at the beginning and you are hearing right now. Until next time, go play some racquetball. Thinking about carrier pigeons <laughs> and all of the pigeons that live in my uh, neighborhood. Okay. <laughs> I can't help you there. <laughs> <laughs> Correct. <laughs> Nor should you have to do so. Oh my god.